Chapter 10 of Lincoln the Lawyer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry, Johnson City, Tennessee. Lincoln the Lawyer by Frederick Trevor Hill. Chapter 10 The Managing Clerk. When Lincoln was postmaster of New Salem, he used to tuck the letters inside his hat and deliver them whenever he happened to meet the persons to whom they were addressed. As this is a fair example of his business system, it may readily be imagined that the office of Stuart and Lincoln was not a model establishment, where there was a place for everything and everything in its place. And it was not. Indeed, as a managing clerk, the junior partner would have been a hopeless failure, and as an attorney, in the technical sense of the term, he would never have distinguished himself. He disliked everything connected with the drudgery of legal routine, hated drawing the declarations and pleas, despised artificialities and refinements which were even then beginning to creep into the pleadings and disregarded forms whenever it was possible to do so. There was nothing mechanical, precise, or methodical about the man, and all those housewifey virtues which characterized the careful, orderly, exact solicitor, he was utterly deficient. He never knew where his papers were, and apparently the only attempt he ever made to better the disorder was to write on one of the bundles of papers which littered his desk. When you can't find it anywhere else, look in this. But that was long after the firm of Stewart and Lincoln had dissolved. And even then we find his explaining to a correspondent that he had placed his letter inside an old hat and had thus neglected answering it, which shows he had not wholly outgrown the habit of his post office days. Indeed, his hat continued to be his favorite receptacle for papers as long as he lived, and he never acquired any sense of order. Fortunately for his peace of mind, Stuart had no more system in business affairs than his associate, and the result of their lax methods was, of course, confusion worse confounded. Again and again we find Lincoln reporting to his partner in Washington that clients had called for deeds which could not be found and that papers were wanted which had disappeared and there is no proof that the major was ever able to help in the search. In fact, neither man took even ordinary business precautions, and if either of them kept copies of letters, no evidence of fact has yet been discovered. Certainly Lincoln's private correspondence was conducted in the loosest possible fashion. He would write on whatever happened to be handy, and his notes for law work or speeches were scribbled on the backs of envelopes, edges of newspapers, or other available material. Most of these memoranda found their way sooner or later into his capacious 
stovepipe, and when any particular item was needed, the search which followed suggested the conjurer's hat trick. Lincoln was too philosophical to be bored or irritated by the details or minutiae of the profession. He simply ignored them. The argus-eyed attorney, who sees that every T is crossed and every I is dotted, doubtless fulfills the useful function in the practice of law. But Lincoln was not a lawyer of this quality. Indeed, it must be conceded that in all such matters, another distinguished president of legal antecedents decisively outranks him. Thomas Jefferson was a master of accounts and bookkeeping. He was a champion diarist of the world, the most methodical of statisticians, and the neatest, most precise man of business. Whoever tied papers with red tape and sealed them with green seals, and yet he would never be classed among the great lawyers of the nation. Fancy Jefferson or any other capable manager writing a client in this fashion and turning good business from the door. As to the real estate, we cannot attend to it. We are not real estate agents. We are lawyers. We recommend you to give the charge of it to Mr. Isaac S. Britton, a trustworthy man and one whom the Lord made on purpose for such business. Perhaps this letter displays poor commercial judgment, and doubtless it shocked and grieved the thrifty man with whom Lincoln was associated when he wrote it, but it shows that he had his own ideas of the dignity of the profession and did not propose to barter it. Lincoln's mind was orderly, though his methods were not. He neglected details because his thought, which was as direct as light, passed instantly to the vital spot, and all else seems unimportant. If I can free this case from technicalities and get it properly swung to the jury, I'll win it, he used to say, and this was his mental attitude toward all legal questions. He had no training in technicalities as long as the firm of Stewart and Lincoln lasted, and it is doubtful if any teaching would have qualified him for attorney work or made him a master of detail. Yet, as an office lawyer, such as rules the destinies of our modern corporate interests, he probably would have been invaluable. His mind comprehended large subjects without the slightest effort. Once concentrated on an issue, he passed directly to the point disregarded the thousand and one contingencies, all the academic pros and cons, and reduced the problem to its simplest possible form. The man who is constantly mindful of details is apt to attach too much importance to small things, and with such a man compromises are difficult, if not impossible. Lincoln had no training of this sort to overcome, and the result is constantly apparent in all his important actions of later years. It is not, of course, contended that his unmethodical habits 
and loose business training prove his legal aptitude, but it is submitted that they do not define his limitations as a lawyer. His natural perceptions were too keen, his mind too generously Catholic, to admit the discipline enforced by the usual legal training. Education of that sort would probably have warped his natural talents, and the result might have been a conscientious family solicitor instead of the great adviser of the nation. He needed the freedom of an office innocent of the patent letter files and card catalog indices to develop his individuality. He demanded the growing room of a new country where the practice of the law was not conventionalized out of all meaning and forms did not restrict. He required the self-discipline which comes of personal, unguided effort and unhandicapped competition, and he found the requisite conditions and his free and easy association with Major Stewart. The independence and possibility which he experienced in this partnership allowed him to exercise and express his individuality at the time when stricter discipline and more technical teaching would have fretted him or molded his maturing mind in a different fashion. As it was, he developed naturally into a broad-minded counselor who reverend the law without worshipping it, and whose sense of justice was not dulled by contract with unyielding precedence. If Stewart had been ambitious to accumulate a fortune, he would have been disappointed with his partner. For with a people, with Letitius as the early Illinois settlers, it was a simple matter to stir up strife and make work for the lawyer. And Lincoln, instead of egging clients into courts, set his face against such practice. Discourage litigation, was his advice to lawyers. Persuade your neighbors to compromise whenever you can. Point out to them how the nominal winner is often the real loser in fees, expenses, and waste of time. As a peacemaker, the lawyer has a superior opportunity of becoming a good man. There will always be enough business. Never stir up litigation. A worse man can scarcely be found than one who does this. Who can be nearly a friend than he who habitually overhauls the register of deeds in scars of defects in titles whereon to stir up a strife and put money in his pocket? A moral tone ought to be infused into the profession which should drive such men out of it. It is truly said that those words should be posted in every law office in the land and it will be seen when Lincoln's record is fully examined that it was not a mere theorist who wrote them, but an active partitioner of wide experience who lived up to his own teaching. End of chapter 10